You're listening to a message from Highway Church with Jim Hockaday, day two of three. Enjoy. Good to be with you this morning. For those of you that weren't here last night, my name's Jim Hockaday, and uh, I've been graced by your pastors to come and be a part of this wonderful fellowship here in Massachusetts. Amen. Amen. I love just hearing you guys talk. Amen. So I'm blessed just to listen to you. Amen. Well, uh, you know, so much, it's hard for me sometimes to maybe, you know, I wear a smile on my face when I'm around your, your pastors and, and their family because uh, they're experiencing really what, what I'm getting ready to experience. I've been in ministry for 33 years and we've changed gears. God's leading us uh, to some different things. We moved in June after 33 years in Tulsa. We moved to uh, Castle Rock, Colorado, the Denver area, and God put it on our hearts to start a work. That's what he said. Specific words, I want you to go start a work. Well, a work isn't a church, but it doesn't mean a church can't be a part of a work. A work is something <clears throat> that you would describe more like, say, the ministry of Paul had a work, yet churches came out of his ministry. So a work would be more maybe far-reaching where a church would be more centralized. And so we're just keeping our hearts wide open, you know, to what the Lord has for us. But we believe we're going to start some type of a healing ministry out there, maybe on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Tuesday and Wednesdays, I'm thinking more will be meetings kind of like what we were just doing here this morning, where you, you sing until the presence comes. And you have your ministry team, band, whatever, just continue to sing as you minister the glory to people. Wednesday night service will probably be more like a service, even though the emphasis will be healing, where people can get used to the things that we share, learn some things about the wonderful grace, righteousness of God. Amen? Amen. And then we'll see if God has us to actually pastor a church out of that, or he sends us possibly some pastors. That may be the thing he'll have us do and have me just stay you know, in the place where I'm kind of in my groove, so to speak. But um, it's, it's just great. See, when I'm around what's going on behind me, then all of a sudden it's like all this starts to come out again. It's prophetic utterance and seeing and knowing and hearing things by the Holy Ghost and, and all that good stuff. So it's, it's hard for me to want to start right now. I just want them to come back up. Amen. Amen. Every once in a while, it's, it's, and it really is every once in a while, there's a church out in Hemet, California, and they just got uh, a guy that, that plays, and he's basically old church of God, you know, and, and oh my goodness, the moment he gets on the keyboards, it's like all of a sudden I'm prophesying. It just pulls that out of you, you know, and then the miraculous begins to happen so much easier. You can, you can really, you can plow to get the healing, but it's nice when it's easy. For everybody just to experience God. So in a sense you say, look at all the songs that we were singing and the thing, the words of the song. What are, we, what are we doing? Are we just singing? No, we're trying to open our hearts and minds to the bigness of God. Amen. And the things that I'm going to preach this morning are exactly that same, same thought pattern. Why am I preaching this? Is this just a sermon? Well, no, it's not really just a sermon. I'm trying to get into your mind that has, has gone a particular direction by the course of this world for the last week. 
That doesn't mean you haven't been inserting God in your daily life, you haven't been aware of him on a daily basis, but we've all been in a world system going a particular way, and there's nothing about the world and its system that's going to help you to experience God. I'm going to guarantee you that right, right now, okay? Satan's not going to go ahead and say, let's, let's, let's create a system where everybody can know God and experience him, okay? It's just actually the opposite. He's created a system, and he doesn't have to work as hard as you think he does. Because once we buy into the wrong method, because we're made in the image and likeness of God, we will continue to create that wrong method year after year, generation after generation. And we will perpetuate on our own without even the devil's help. Wrong ideas, wrong beliefs, wrong direction. So as much as you think he's so active, and in a sense he is in this last day, but as much as you think it is, he already has the system well established. A system where we are very aware and constantly concerned with how our flesh interacts with this world. Bills, the difficulty of life, hangs over your head, your well-being, your physical you know, health, is, is a major concern. Now the concern where it used to be there was a sanctity of family values. That's been pulled from the normal family where you have to contend even to, if you will, sit down all together for a meal. To actually pray before the meal, before everybody just jumps in and starts eating. <laughs> Like as though that should be a part of the meal. We have to contend for that. That's not normal anymore even in what you would call Christian circles. You see, the world is doing a really good job pulling us into a mentality of the flesh. We're real good at the flesh. Real good. And I say this in jest, but you know, some of you maybe 30 years ago rolled a joint. You probably could still roll one today. You know, we're good at fleshly things. What we want to become is proficient at spiritual things. But it takes redirecting our focus towards spiritual things for those things to become real. Now, if they weren't there, it would be mind science. And you'd be trying to create something out of nothing, just with your mind. But it's not mind science, it's spiritology, it's God science. Amen. The fact that God is, the fact that everything about God is, and you're beginning to turn your focus on what you can't see and what you're not experiencing because what you're really good at is how your flesh interacts with the world. That's why when we have a pain, we magnify the pain. That's why when we have trouble, we have drama. Come on, look, look at the TV nowadays. What shows really uh, seem to be embellished more than others? The shows with drama. Huh? If you cut drama out of your life, you'd feel like Jesus just came into your heart. Yeah, so Amen? Amen? Come on, come on, seriously, it would be that way. If you could cut drama out of your life, you'd have a sense of peace about yourself because you wouldn't be buying into things that are meaningless. It's kind of like looking at your email every day. I don't know how they seem to get my address, but all these people that I don't even know seem to be writing me from all these stores that I would never shop at right. <laughs> and these drug companies that I would never use, but they seem to be on there every day and I have to <sighs> delete them. 
And to a degree, it's almost like even deleting them becomes a form of entertainment. <laughs> Look at how many I get to delete today. Awesome. Praise the Lord, you know. Huh? And then you go on your trash and there's 350 of them. And then you go through each one as though maybe one of those actually was important. See, this is what God wants to do in your life. Instead of you deleting them, God wants to, del to delete everything that's of no importance. And the most interesting thing about our life is probably the greatest majority of the things we think are important are really not. So when we begin to sing, Jesus, 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 there's just something about your name. When we begin to sing that, we're redirecting our focus towards something that's more real than what we've been paying attention to all week long. And the more you keep your focus on that, the more real he becomes. Just like when you keep your focus on a pain, the more real it becomes. Isn't it interesting when you begin to dismiss certain things of this world, all of a sudden you think back and an hour goes by and you haven't even thought about that? You haven't even felt that, but the moment you begin to think about it, then all of a sudden you begin to feel it again? Yeah. Huh? See, and it's awareness to whatever world is most real to you. So really, it's kind of like um, a seesaw, teeter-totter, an old-fashioned balance scale. To what degree your mind and heart are set on that world, then that world becomes real to you. It's kind of like to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's right. So what does that say? The more conscious you are of the body, the less conscious you will be of the Lord. But the less conscious you are of the body, the more you have the availability, right, to be conscious of the Lord. Be very difficult to find the world that you don't know until you're going to let go of the world that you do know. Huh? Doesn't that seem to be exactly what Jesus was saying when he talked about prayer and fasting? What is prayer and fasting? Well, fasting is letting go of something of this world that draws your attention so that you can turn your back on it. And then prayer is turning your face toward God. So see, the same principle involves. I'm going to turn my back on the world that I know for a moment so that I can actually find the world that I'm not finding and that the world that I don't know. What if we put our face toward God long enough until that world came into focus? That's called taste and see that the Lord is good. See, the moment you start tasting of the other world, the moment you start tasting of God's grace, at that moment, then you'll have a choice. Do I want to go back or do I want to continue? If we were going to categorize sin as far as what was the worst and what was not, even though that's not necessarily a great thing to do, because really, where's our focus? On our righteousness in Christ. But for the sake of this conversation, really you could say the greatest sin would be to actually know that there's grace, having tasted of God's grace, having enjoyed God's grace, but now we're willing to turn our back on it and let go of God's grace. But what part of this world has trained you to hold on to something good, whereby the very next moment you're thinking maybe something bad would happen? Murphy's Law. If something bad's going to happen, it'll probably happen to me. Come on, that's my whole existence of my upbringing. My whole upbringing was Murphy's Law. That's our family. Oh my God, something bad's probably going to happen. Well, why would you spend energy thinking about what hasn't happened yet and then consider it to be bad? 
People ask me all the time in ministry, what, what would happen if you did that if it doesn't work? I've had so many of my friends come to me with some of my ministry decisions to do certain things and say, oh my God, Jim, you could lose your ministry that way. And I always say, well, good, finally, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Let's lose it, amen. If it doesn't work any better than this, this is a great time to know, you know what I mean? Lose it. And I don't understand why they think that way, because once you come in contact with Jesus, like John Lake said, you become the highest type of optimistic enthusiast. And that describes me. I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, you're, you're thinking what would happen if it doesn't work. I'm thinking what would happen if it did. Like, wouldn't it be worth it to fail again because you're already failing? It's not working already, you know. Wouldn't you be willing to fail again at the expense of possibly, I'm, I'm successful? Amen? So how do we look at life? The glass half, half full or half empty? What about all the way full? Right? So it just has to do with perspective. And so the more we talk about Jesus, the more we sing about Jesus, the more we share the things we do, it's to give you a chance to see something from a different perspective, which then opens your heart to a new experience you can't get any other way. Amen. So many things in life I just don't know about, and I run across somebody, and they say, hey, look, at this is really cool. I'm, I've never even heard of that before. And they'll say, yeah, well, look at how it works. I'm thinking, wow, that is totally cool. And right then, they gave me a new opportunity with something I'd never been enlightened to before to experience something in a way that I've never experienced it before. And it's up to me at that point whether I say, hey, I, I'm going I'm to go get one of those too. And then all of a sudden, my life has changed. Or possibly say, well, you know, that's good for you, and then go without and that really becomes the job of the traveling guy as much as it is the pastoral ministry. Probably the pastoral ministry is a little, you know, sweeter around the edges, you know, than the traveling guy. But my job really is to take away all of your options. Amen. So if you feel like, hey, and then I already got something, you're like. It's because that's part of. Of, of what I'm supposed to do is leave you with nothing but Jesus as your option and then if you're kind of feeling like I want some of those you know plan B's and C's back it's like uh-uh I took those you can't have them so just choose Jesus or sit there but here's the beauty of it you'll know whether you chose him or not and that seed is probably one of the best seeds there are. You say, how come? Because God said, I'd rather have you be hot or cold, not lukewarm. See, he's wanting you to be definitive about something. Amen? And of course, we can use that scripture and look at it through the covenants. The old covenant is, you know, cold. The new covenant is hot. God doesn't want you mixing the two together. But you could also look through it through the eyes of choice. Amen. Let me ask you a question. When, 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 when the guy that had ice and the guy that had cream ran into each other, and all of a sudden, oh, wow, it became ice cream, there was only one flavor. So how committed would you be able to be to one flavor, which was vanilla? Well, you'd be all in, right? I either want an ice cream cone or I don't want an ice cream cone. There's not an option of what flavor... It's whether or not I want one, right? See, when it's a real simple choice like that, it's easy to be all in. I want it. I want vanilla ice cream. Amen. Give that to me. Two scoops. Amen. Well, Baskin-Robbins ruined that forever. 
Right? 31 flavors later. Why 31 flavors? I mean, my kids were a wreck when they were growing up. They loved Baskin-Robbins. And the first day they went, these little, little blonde-haired, curly-haired kids would sit there and, and, and say, I don't know which one, Daddy. They all look so good. You know, and they're looking at all the different colors, you know. Oh, they look so good, so good. And the lady says, would you like a sample? And they're like, I, I can have a sample? And they said, yes, you can have a sample. And they, they took a little pink plastic spoon and gave them a sample. And the kids loved the plastic spoons. <laughs> so now the game was, who can get out of Baskin-Robbins with the most spoons? I'll have a sample of that one. I'll have a sample of that one. Look at Daddy. Huh? But the problem is, I'm half done with my ice cream while they still even haven't chosen. And when they finally choose, it's something like gross, like bubble gum. And one lick, and their tongue is lit with like four colors. Food dye. That's good for you. And here's the interesting thing. All three of them would be licking theirs like after 10 minutes and five spoons in their hands. And while they're licking theirs, they're looking at me, looking at mine. Wow, yours looks good, Daddy. I said, it's been good for 10 minutes while you've been choosing. Can I have a lick? It's like, you've got five spoons, and you got your ice cream cone, and you still want a lick. See, they're not committed. Right? It's all the little tiny things in our lives that cause us not to see accurately how important it is to turn your back on a world that cannot help you so that you can find the world of God that can. Simple, just not easy. You say, what do you mean simple? It is, it's simple. Everything about God is simple. The not easy part is how well you have patterns, habits, and routines, and how well you've trained yourself to see life through the eyes of the flesh and the world. And so in these meetings, what we're doing, what the Boscos do when they come up and they sing and they worship is the exact same thing. It's opening your heart and your mind for just a moment so that you can gaze into this other world for just a second. And if you can stay there for just a couple more seconds, you'll actually start to feel like, am I, am I feeling something right now? Is this okay? What is this? It's God just trying to say, I'm here. I've always been here. And for just a moment, you're acknowledging me, and with that acknowledgement, it allows me to become real. Think about this. How many of us go without, and yet we all have what God has already invested in us? I mean, in the day we live, people still keep talking about if we can just pray long enough, we can get the move of God here. Well, I'm all in for prayer because prayer, again, is doing the same thing. It's focusing your thoughts on him long enough in prayer until God starts to become real. But God's not becoming real because he's just becoming real. He's becoming real to you because you're staying there long enough to allow that world to actually have some sense of reality to you. Oh my goodness, God finally became real. No, God's been real all along. You know, he's just that you finally stayed there long enough. So this morning, we're going to do the exact same thing here through the scriptures. Just open them up to show you some things that hopefully will cause you to go, oh, I hadn't seen it like that before. Because what happens when you see that? You have a new opportunity. What's your new opportunity? To experience something in a way you hadn't experienced before. 
Amen, amen. Do you know how long I worshiped and praised God and yet hadn't met him? What do you mean? Well, in a sense, I met him when I was four years of age. But in those early years, I probably had more experiences than I did actually when I got old enough to get more doctrinally correct. More theological. More studious. Experience after experience after experience as a little kid. I thought it was just me. I'd walk to school because back in those days, you know, you had to walk half an hour to get to the bus stop. You mean there was a bus stop? And you'd get left if you weren't there. Right? But I'd ask, I'd ask myself questions. I wonder why. And then uh, right, at, right the moment I'd say it, I'd have an answer. Well, this is why. And I think, doggone it, I'm smart. <laughs> I didn't know it was the Holy Ghost. See, no one told me. You're interacting with God. Keep that up. The more you keep that up, the more real it'll become. You'll never lose that. And you'll have this amazing relationship where you can walk with him and talk with him. Remember the old song? And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there. Remember that? Well, we're, we're losing sight of that. So as a young boy, I had all kinds of experiences. And then you get a little bit more studious and you become a little bit more aware of your own ability. And the more aware you are of your own ability, the less aware you are of his. The more you don't really need him, the more he seems to fade into obscurity. But he's still there. Still wanting to help with the smallest of little things. Isn't, isn't it interesting that we miss the smallest of little things constantly? And the moment you begin to pick up on those tiny little things that God is doing in your life every day, then everything begins to change in your perspective. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Really good morning already. Praise the Lord. It's 11, 11 o'clock already. Amen. We'll try to get you out of here real soon. Turn your Bibles over to Mark chapter 4. These are some things I think that'll just help to highlight what we're talking about. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 4. So you know this story. I'll begin reading in, the, in King James, verse 35. It says, In the same day, when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. <coughs> and when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great windstorm, and the waves beat into the boat or to the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awakened him and said unto him, Master, do you not care that we perish? <coughs> Interesting thing, and this all goes together. If you can let go of your cares, you can find him. When you find him, you'll let go of your cares. So it works from either side. It's like you can find a passage of scripture and then experience it, or you can experience him and then find a passage of scripture that backs up your experience. It works from either side. Amen? So as we go on, think about that. Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
So isn't it interesting that they recognized he was a man, they just didn't know what kind of man he was. The New King James says, what kind of man? What manner of man? Well, then I have to ask you the same question. What manner or what kind of human being are you? Because I could say it like this. The moment Jesus moves into your heart, you, you have to stop thinking of your humanity like you've always been thinking. Because you're no longer just normal, you know, like everybody else. you got something living in you. Amen. Huh? See, we can watch these horror flicks and stuff, and, and, and somebody gets infected by something that grows in them, and then they start freaking out and doing all kinds of weird stuff. But we, we don't re relegate that to spiritual things on the good side. People have no problem believing when they see somebody foaming at the mouth and their eyes flip back in their head, they start slithering like a snake. Oh my God, he's, he's infected by a devil. He's possessed. But what about possession on a good level? What about being a son of God and being filled? We, this body is the temple or the sanctuary where God lives. Amen. So what would it be like to be thoroughly filled and flooded with God himself as a human being. Well, Jesus is our prototype. Yes, amen. He came to reveal what it looks like for God to live in a human being. Yes. Yes. That's good. Amen. Walked around for three and a half years in ministry showing us the kind of things you can expect on a regular basis. Religion has done a great job making sure that everybody knows that what Jesus did was special as the Son of God. And it discounts. Amen. It becomes a limitation to you. You don't see yourself doing what Jesus did because that's Jesus. He had more of an advantage than we do. And the real truth of the matter is he had no advantage at all over us. He came as a man. Praise the Lord. He laid aside his glory and power as God to become a man. Amen. And he walked in the covenant of Adam, with Adam's anointing. People would look at Jesus and say, well, he could heal the sick and cleanse the leper because he's Jesus. But Jesus gave that same power to his 12 disciples. And then there was this other guy that had never even hung around Jesus that was working miracles. And the disciples said, should we tell him to stop because he's not one of us? He said, no, he's not against us. He's for us. Leave him alone. Let him keep doing it. Where in the world did he get power to do that? He must have actually believed that it was available to be used. And then all of a sudden, it kind of undoes our whole and unravels our whole religious training that wants to control you and make you feel less than Christian and just fit in with the rest of the group, for crying out loud. Don't ruffle the feathers. We're all going at a very slow pace. Why would you try to sprint? The moment somebody breaks the pack, you got to go after them and tell them, get back here with us or we're going to have to break your legs. <laughs> because you're making us look bad and we don't want to accelerate. God forbid the group has to be right. Look at how many of us there are. And that's modern Christianity right there. So thrilled to be here at Highway Church. 
<clears throat> to see the things that your pastors are sharing with you because they have the potential of completely revamping the way you think and causing you to experience the God that as you begin to experience him, no one can ever tell you anything but that you should experience him every day. Because I can't tell you how many testimonies, and if it were only one, I wouldn't then rightfully share it. But I'm talking about so many people come up to me after speaking about some of these things and say to me, can I tell you a story? And I said, I'd love to hear a story. And they'll say something like this, well, you know, I didn't get saved, you know, in church. Church meaning a building, because you are the church. We're just meeting in the building. This is a cool building. Amen? I'd like to take, like, everything about you and just transport you to Colorado and then just start our ministry. It'd be awesome. <laughs> Amen. I'd even be okay if you took the R's out of the King's English. <laughs> People come up and say, I didn't get saved in the church. I said, well, tell me your story. They said, well, I was just home, and I, I knew God was there, and I just cried out to him in desperation, and he came into my life. I said, in what manner? And they'll say, well, he was like totally real. He started talking to me. I mean, the hair on the back of my neck just kind of like, as I knew something's in this room. Oh, my gosh. And they said, they'll tell me, I began to walk like that for months. I've got journals of things the Lord would come into my room at night and I'd just write down in my journal pages after pages of things he would share with my heart. I said, what about healings? They said, well, I never even prayed for healings, but th healings would take place just like that. It was just the most amazing time. I said, and then what happened? Because I know you're going somewhere. And they'll say, yeah, well, then everybody found out I was a Christian and they told me I need to go to church. I said, so what happened when you went to church? How long did it take before all your experiences stopped? And they said, well, uh, two to three weeks of going there. How long has it been? 15 years. Are you still going there? Well, yeah. And I said, and you haven't figured that out? Like you haven't figured that out. You didn't do your math problem. Like everything stopped. You were going there because you got into that group where nothing was going and then became like them. And you're still going there. I said, is your pastor sick? Oh, yeah. Been sick for 12 years with such and such and such. And you're still going there. Well, I mean, I said, no. What do you mean? See, in the world, you can't get away with this. If you don't produce in the world, you get fired. If your business doesn't actually produce um, more money than it loses, then you go under. The church... Modern day church is the only establishment in the world today that can successfully fail and still keep their doors open. Amen. Because you realize you're always being taught something. Yes. Like for instance, um, I've watched uh, meeting after meeting years and years ago where a certain minister would get up in a huge prayer line and when he would get to someone in a wheelchair, he would say, well, you know, this is gonna take working of miracles. My ministry only has gifts of healings. So right away, he stripped from that person the idea that what was necessary to get the job done was not in the room. 
And then he would say, no, everybody stretch out your hands. So now what he's doing by saying everybody stretch out your hands, he's telling this individual, I can't get it done. We need everybody's hands in order to do this. Like this is really big. It's a top shelf DLC. It's not a normal. It's an abnormal. It's kind of like a lottery ticket. We're not sure you're going to win. In fact, most likely you won't. But we're still going to pray and believe that something. No, you're not going to believe anything because you already sucked faith right out of the room. And then nothing happens, and you don't realize that what you taught the people, because people always lean to the negativity of life, because that's the world we live in. The old adage in the newspaper business was, if it bleeds, it leads. Meaning they're not going to talk about the seven young ladies that got filled with the Holy Ghost and began to prophesy at Highway Church. That's not going to be a leading article in the newspaper. If it even gets in there, it'll be a little, little, little blurb right by some advertisement. So what do they put in the, in the headlines? Something that attracts your attention to negativity. So what they don't realize is, is while they walk away and the, the people never get healed, what they, what they have done is they've taught people to believe it doesn't work very, very well. That's why we contend for what? The presence of God, the reality of God, seeing things work. Brother back here, you know, came in with a cane last night. He's running around his house last night. Amen. What's that? His dog thinks he's nuts. You got to love that, right? went into this one room, you know, and this lady had her cane underneath her chair. And as I was preaching, I just went like this and noticed and she looked at my eyes, her eyes got real big and she took her foot like this and she just pulled it back a little bit further. <laughs> and I preached a little bit more and then I walked back to her and I said, I not only saw it, I said, but that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> just, just. I was in a church in West Virginia, and the mountain folks, you gotta be careful what they feed you. But anyhow, <laughs> it's in this pretty big church. It was about maybe 350 people there. It was a stadium type seating, you know, where, um, and the stage was. Anyhow. <laughs> I'm 15 minutes into my sermon, and the first night, on a Friday night, and this woman puts her, I watch her, she puts her jacket on, made a big to-do, put her purse on, grabbed her books into her arm, and, and, and took her purse over her shoulder, and, and her cane, and then edged out like this, all the way out, until she got to the aisle, and it took a little bit of time for her to do that, and then she started caning her way out of the building. And I thought, you're kidding. F 15 minutes is all you gave me, and now you're leaving. Really? And so I was just, you know, a little bit on edge. And I said, I don't think so. I don't think so. I jumped off the platform. And I kept, I kept on preaching and walked all the way back to her. And she's like this, you know, caning herself like this. She's got about another, about another 20 feet to go before she gets to the, you know, the atrium or the, the foyer area. And about another 20. And everybody's watching what I'm going to do. And it tapped her on the shoulder like this. She turned up. And then she just, you know, her eyes got real big because it's the minister. And I said, where do you think you're going? I said, you and your cane walking out this door, uh, out this church? I said, I don't think so. I said, give me that cane. I said, if you're going to leave, you're going to leave healed. And she's, 
trying to talk, but I wouldn't let her talk. And I said, boom, I popped her on the top of the head like that. She just jumped and she goes, woo! And she took off just kind of dancing a little jig like this. She said, woo, woo, you know, like that. And I said, now you can leave. And she looks, she goes, I was just going to the bathroom. I said, for crying out loud, who puts all your stuff on just to go to the bathroom? So don't you even think of leaving. We'll get you. First Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So the first passage, what kind, what manner of man is this? The second passage here, people are acting like mere men that obviously shouldn't be acting as mere men. What kind of man should you be acting like? Well, maybe like a God man. I don't even like the way that sounds, someone would say. That sounds a little blasphemous. You know, people that grew up with me would say things like, well, who do you think you are to kind of say something like that? Well, it's not who I think I am. It's who do I think God is that would actually think that way of me? Because the moment you see yourself in the God class, all of a sudden it changes everything. I mean, think for a moment without going there. Genesis chapter 1. What was Genesis chapter 1 a chapter of? God's creation, right? Isn't it interesting when he would create something, then he would tell it, reproduce after your what? Own kind. Isn't that right? Dogs had dogs, cat had cats, had cats. Amen? And then he got down to, to the end of that chapter and around verse 26, and he looked around and he had actually created things that could now recreate after their own kind. And then he looked at one another, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, and they said, hey, let's make one after our kind. Amen. Well, what would that kind be? A God kind, see? It's hard for people to say that. But God made man in his image and in his likeness. Like God did God make man, the, the living Bible says. Like God did God make man. So what is man? Man's a God kind of being. Well, when you begin to talk like that, all of a sudden it's almost like you're relegating to that individual certain kind of powers. Hey, man, I'm Iron Man. <laughs> you know, all these Marvel characters, certain powers. Well, they're just getting that from Scripture because we're God kind of beings. Amen. And what are God kind of beings? Well, you just look into that first chapter. You can see what God does. What does he do? He creates the thing that becomes so big in him. He releases it through words or actions, and it becomes a reality. Is that not so? That's how God does what he does. Well, thank God that's how he does what he does in us. Did Jesus wait until he was filled with the Holy Ghost to start his ministry? And the answer is yes. Did Elisha make sure that the power was in the mantle of Elijah by saying, where is the God of Elijah, and struck the water before he started his miracle ministry? 
<laughs> you would too if you, if you didn't feel anything. But supposedly, when you watched Elijah get caught up into heaven and his mantle fell, you now became a possessor of a double portion of what Elijah actually did in his ministry. You wouldn't want to start until you know God's actually there. So when he split the water with the mantle, which was just a cloth that he put on himself, what do you think he thought about the cloth? Ay, 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 ay. <laughs> you know, after he split the water, you know, what I mean? he's in there. How do you think he put that on? I bet you very carefully. <sighs> what did that allow him to do? Hmm. If you study after some of these prophets, the really interesting thing about it is once they became so consciously aware of God's presence upon their life, they began to get a little bit kind of confident or sassy about this whole thing. In other words, there were times when the Lord said to them, the, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, dig ditches, and then water filled into the ditches. Just a couple passages later, somebody said, hey, there's death in the pot. The stew is poisonous. But there was no word of the Lord, yet Elisha said, give me some flour. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to make the stew, you know, a little bit more thicker? Or, or there's special flour in that day that could kill poison. Do you think any of those two? No. What's he doing that for? Because if the presence is on him, once he tells somebody to put flour in the pot, the presence on him goes into the flour goes into the pot when it gets into the pot it kills the poison and now we eat perfect stew it's very scientific but when you become very conscious of God all of a sudden now every single problem has a different outcome because I have the equalizer I had a friend that went on to be with the Lord his name was Buzzy Sutherland he was from El Dorado Arkansas he was a redneck's redneck Okay, I think he invented the term. In fact, he'd always get on my case because I was born and raised in upstate New York, north of Niagara Falls on the Niagara River, and he'd say, Hockaday, you're listening in, in, in Yankee, and I'm talking in fatback and collard green. <laughs> I used to kid him. i say, Buzzy, you can drive backwards faster than I can go forwards. <laughs> and he told me, he said, when I was in the ninth grade, they tried to teach me the algebra. He said, all these X's and these Y's. He said, I didn't know why I'd ever use something like that, so I hardly paid attention. He said, but the final exam came out, and it said X plus Y equals 49. He said, I got so happy, I walked right up to the teacher. I didn't do any of the problem. I just put that down on the desk, and I said, what do I care what X and Y is? If I've got the 49, that's the answer. <laughs> Amen. Do you see, what is a problem if you got the answer? Oh, it's 48 plus 1, it's 52 minus 3. It, it, it's multiple types of problems, but when you got an answer, and you got the answer first, and what really is a problem but an opportunity to show your answer? But if we're not aware that we've got the problem, we got the, the solution, excuse me, we'll get stuck in the problem. My daughter years ago, you know, she was doing some math and she just slammed her pencil down. She got a little bit of fire in her like her dad, you know, slammed her pencil down. She said, well, I'm not doing this anymore. I said, what's wrong? She said, well, I did it right. She said, but I got the wrong answer. I said, how do you know it's the wrong answer? She said, because the answers are in the back of the book. I said, answers are in the back of the book? 
They were never in the back of our books. What kind of generation is this? Answers in the back of the book. I said, well, we're going to do it again. She says, no, I'm not. I said, young lady, I'm going to stand here and watch you do it again. So she starts doing it, and I'm watching her do it. And I said, okay, now I just put the decimal point in the right place, and all of a sudden it got quiet. I said, uh-huh. I guess we figured out where the problem was. She goes, Dad, stop. I said, well, put it in the right place. And she, I said, what's the, what's the answer? She said, it's the right answer. See, she had to work the problem to get the right answer. Folks, we've got the answers in heaven. Jesus is our answer. Why are these people acting like mere men? It's pretty obvious that they don't know that there's another kind. So Satan was already successful in the world system in that day, which is so slow. Come on, think about it. You're going to work on a donkey. You've got plenty of time for reflection. You see everything in your miles walk. Driving a car. You know what I mean? We're so busy. There's no reflection at all. We're going from wood homes to concrete buildings, walking on concrete sidewalks, not even realizing that there were birds chirping who God fed that weren't even caring about their lives, and yet God cared for them. There were flowers that were growing, and we didn't even take time to notice that those colors were beautiful, and God actually made every one, even though you're not paying attention. Right? What's the possibility you had multiple God experiences that day and didn't recognize one? See, recognition is the whole deal. Yeah. Awareness, recognition. The world that you're aware of and recognize will be the world that you will be proficient in. So if we don't like the results of the world that we've become proficient in, we've got to change our perspective and our awareness. Right? Praise the Lord. Come on over to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll try to go a little faster here. 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 9 it says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. One translation said, a peculiar people. We are pretty peculiar. <laughs> he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, there's something special about every single one of us. If you're in Christ, Amen. every one of us are God's favorites. Amen. Amen. We're favored by God. We're special. In Christ. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Well, let's figure out what this kind of human being is that we are because uh, we are that kind of human being. We, we ought to find out what it actually looks like. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 10, verse 30. And I'm going to show you something here that is Satan's worst nightmare. <laughs> I look to a scripture in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2 where it talks about the rulers of this age, had they known what they were doing when they crucified the Lord of glory. Do you, do you all know the rest of that? They never would have crucified him. They never would have crucified whom? The Lord of glory. Why? Because the Lord of glory, once crucified, made it possible for people to become sons of glory. 
where they would be filled with Christ and then have the hope of glory. Amen. Amen? And if Satan could, he'd reverse the whole thing and actually leave Jesus on the planet. He wouldn't kill him. He would leave him here. Think about that. For 4,000 years, he looked to find the seed. And once he found him, he was incest with killing the seed, who is Christ. But now when he sees what he did as he did it and what happened, he would turn the whole thing around and never touch him. In fact, he would have become the protector of Jesus at all costs. Because what he didn't want was there to be a whole nation, a multitude of Jesuses walking around on the face of the earth. And that's how God sees you. Amen. Amen. Years ago, we talked about the, the, the vanilla thing, the ice cream thing. You know, had vanilla ice cream, and somebody was eating a vanilla ice cream and ran into somebody that was at carrying chocolate. And the chocolate got into the vanilla, and they said, this could be a hit. And then they started putting chocolate in the vanilla ice cream, and it turned into a chocolate ice cream cone. And you had chocolate and you had vanilla. And then somebody, as a brainiac, thought, I've got a lever that gets chocolate and a lever that gets vanilla. Is there some way we can get these two to meet in the middle and swirl them together, and we'll call it a twist? Do another twist. We'll call it a twist. And it became the most popular ice cream cone. I'll have one of those just because of the way it looked. Ephesians 2.15 says, God took two and made a brand new kind of humanity. We're a brand new kind of human being. What kind of human being are we? Well, we're not like the old kind. You see, the Adam's family, it just didn't cut it. There were things and it's and... It was just, it had to be taken out. Some of you young people don't know what we're talking about, but for those of us, how many of us do know what I'm talking about? Oh, okay. How do you, how do you know? You have watched it? Well, good on you. Amen. I bet it really blessed you too. That's all we had back then. I mean, some of those programs, you know. But, but God wanted to do away with the Adams family. He wasn't preserving it. The moment it fell, it reproduced atoms full of sin. So Jesus came as the last of the atoms, amen, to take the place of the first atom, to fulfill what the first atom messed up, amen, before he even went to the grave to then bury the Adam's family in the grave, come out of the grave as the resurrected and glorified Christ that as many as would receive him to them, God gives power to become sons of God. And all of a sudden, we have this brand new kind of human. Come on, think about it. Adam was 100% pure, and he walked with God. But God didn't live in Adam. He walked with him. Adam had authority over all the works of God's hand, but he didn't sit at the right hand of glory. This new positioned man... In Christ, this new creature is raised up to sit together with Jesus and have authority not over only in this world but also in the spiritual world. Why? 
because God made him in such a way, fashioned him as a brand new species, insomuch that God himself could come and step inside your spiritual being and live inside of your heart. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Become one single spirit with your spirit. I mean, if you want to find Jesus, you got to look at me. If you want to find me, you better look in Jesus. We are inseparable. And this is something that was very difficult, even for those of the early church to understand. I mean, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be sufficient. And Jesus said, Philip, how long have you been with me? If you've seen me, you've seen him. You don't believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Keep that thought. Look at where we are over here in John chapter 10 and verse 30. I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Look at, they took him up again. This was a regular practice. There was plenty of ammunition in the land. Stones, they were everywhere, okay? They took up stones again to stone. Why they take up stones? Well, let's find out. Jesus responded when they took up stones and said, well, many good works have I shown you from my Father. For which of these works or those works do you stone me? The Jews answered saying, for not for a good work do we stone you, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. Let me ask you here, how many of you uh, call God your Father? Well, then you'd be stoned too. Because who do you think you are? Being a man, a mere man. See, that's what Satan wants. Satan wants to dumb you down until you don't see yourself like God does. Satan wants to keep you bound to the flesh and to the world. Let me ask you a question. When, when Jesus is in the wilderness, when did Satan first attempt to attack him and tempt him? He was in the wilderness for 40 days. He wasn't eating. Now, people think because he wasn't eating for 40 days that he was really, really, really hungry. But he wasn't really aware of hunger because he was more aware of his father. Remember, 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 when you're fasting and praying, that means you're putting aside this world, you're turning your back to it, and you're beginning to open your heart to this world. And when this world becomes real to you, even Jesus made comments later that said, I have food that we eat of which you know not. So in other words, this world is not I've got to get this into you. I just trust I can. But, but we're not worshiping the idea that the world is there. We're not worshiping the idea of a really awesome God. We're actually interacting with him, and we're experiencing that world. It's tangible, folks. It's tangible. The tangibility of this world fades in comparison to the tangibility of spiritual things. Why does everyone in the, in the Bible that experienced angels and experienced Jesus, and there was so much glory that they'd hit the ground, they'd fall on their face? Because the tangibility of that light, the tangibility of that world was so real, it was overwhelming. And they just fall prostrate before that presence. Just because we're not yet adapted to it like we should be doesn't mean it's not real. It was there before this world was created. And if it was created by that world, that means the tangibility of that world has to usurp the authority of the tangibility of this world. We're just good at the tangibility of this world. That's all. We've been shown that this is life. Welcome to life. Troubles and trials and things are difficult. Welcome to life. No, don't tell somebody to be welcome to that life. Help them to be welcome to the real life. That's right. That's right. That's good. 
Why do you think people that are homeless, people that are incarcerated, kids that have not yet had enough of their innocence removed from them, why can they, or, or older adults that have lived long and they're ready to go on and be with the Lord and they recognize the, the frivolity of the world, the frivolousness of it, like, like Solomon, he said, it's all vanity. I've done, I've got plenty of money, so I've gone everywhere to experience everything and after everything that I've experienced, it's all vanity. The only thing that is necessary is one thing, and that is you finding God. That was his message. But why do you think those people that I described, that they can find God so much easier than the rest of us that are in the middle zone where we're running after the rat race of life? Because they're detached from the life that pulls you into the flesh so that they could be reattached to the life of the Spirit. If all the outlet, out, outlets are full with plugs and you've got to play this electric guitar and you need electricity, how are you going to get it unless you unplug something else so that you can plug your guitar in? The very first thing as grace, your teacher, Titus 2.11, the first thing it talks about teaching you is about the ungodliness. The second thing it talks about teaching you is about the things of God. How come it would teach you first about ungodliness? Because that's where everybody lives. I mean, if you're eating a fuzzy peach and it's green and you, you go to the bathroom 15 times a day, it would be probably good first to tell you that that's actually a molded peach. It's molded, yes. It's super hairy. They're not all that hairy. <laughs> Peaches are kind of light in color, a little pinkish, orangish, pinkish. And yours is green. <laughs> did you never question that? No, I never did. Do you go to the bathroom a lot? Oh my God, like 15 times a day, but I kind of got used to it. I just. Well, brother, that's a molded peach. Ah, and they would let go of it. Now that they let go of it, they have a hand that's open to what? The right kind of peach. And the moment they taste, oh, this is so good. Well, I know it's because it's not molded. Oh, my God, I didn't even have to go to the bathroom today. That's right. So see, that's, that's the job of grace, to constantly show you in the midst of what's right, to show you what's wrong so you can let go and find what's right. Because if you let go of something that's wrong, what do you now have availability to? The availability of what is of God. Look at what the, what the Pharisees didn't like. They didn't like that Jesus said, I and my Father are one. You're blaspheming because you said, you a mere man, make yourself God. Well, number one, Jesus from Nazareth, Jesus, the human name from Nazareth, a human town, did not make himself God. God did. God sent his son into a human body. Jesus wasn't making himself anything more than what God had, God had given him. The ability of God to be in a human body. And when you're talking like a God-man, a Christian, someone whose father is God, which makes you a son and daughter, you're not taking on more than you're rightfully given. You're just assuming your place in the family to expect that your dad, who's the ultimate judge of the earth, and your brother, who's the greatest prosecuting attorney, my God, and the Holy Ghost, who is your friend, your help, and your countenance, praise the Lord, is what puts you over. 
Why would you walk, would you allow yourself to be a, a welcome mat and let the devil walk all over you? Take your place. The devil doesn't want you to think this way. He doesn't want you to see this. He wants to keep you in meager little terms of you're just a little human. Huh? He doesn't want you to know you're a superstar. Hallelujah. Some of you always want to be a rock star. Well, you are. Amen. You're God's rock star. Praise the Lord. You've got Christ living in you. So as we go a little further, look at what Jesus said. Look at what the Pharisees said. Um, you know, many good works. The Pharisees said, well, for blasphemy, you being a man, make yourself to be God. Jesus sent them and said, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified said into the world, you're blasphemed because I said, I am the son of God? You see, Satan's real tripped up about this. He doesn't want you to know who you are. Now, when you see the Pharisees coming against Jesus for this one thing, then you can bet on this. You can bet on the fact that it was the, the Pharisees are motivated by Satan. Like he actually was even okay with Jesus producing miracles because you can explain that away. He's a prophet. Prophets can do that. And that's what the church world's done. That's what the Word of Faith camp has done. Well, prophets have these experiences, but I'm just a teacher. And then the rest of the people are going, I'm not even in the five-fold ministry. Why am I supposed to expect this is going to work? See? And we've taken, taken the rug right out from underneath your feet, and we've lowered you to the place through limitations and boundaries where you don't think anything will work for you. People come up and say, well, Jimmy, I want a double portion of your anointing. I say, well, you've got Jesus, right? They say, yeah. I say, well, that's him. Amen. Keep using all you can get of Jesus. Amen. The more you use him, praise the Lord. The more you work with him, the more you'll experience him, the more you can, you can continue to work with him. Amen. What you think is you put yourself back under the old covenant where man didn't have the privilege of walking with God, being filled with God. Only certain individuals as leaders did as an example to bring the whole body of the children of Israel into a place where they could respectfully honor God. But now we're living in a brand new covenant. This brand new covenant is all about everyone. See, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be sozoed. In other words, God comes to tabernacle and live inside your heart and changes everything. He becomes your 49, where you could care less about the problem, the X and the Y of life, because you got the 49. When everybody's got Jesus, it's the solution to everything you need. Someone says, well, I got a backache. I've got Jesus. Praise the Lord. Here's freedom from your backache. Amen. I've had diabetes in my life. Well, I've got Jesus. Praise the Lord. So what does that mean? How can diabetes and Jesus live in the same body? And all of a sudden, you start to figure it out like a math problem, and you come up with, holy smokes, if I've got Jesus, he's the answer to everything. But the world's coming out with all kinds of solutions and options that are just so easy. I mean, why in the world would you go, you know, to church and try to clean up your life to have God when you can just go to the hospital and they can cut it out and sew you up and you wanted a couple days of vacation anyhow. <laughs> as long as you've got good enough health insurance, what does it do? It just eliminates your desire to want God. And the religious way is to make you feel so inept like you've got to clean yourself up. You've got to do all this stuff to be worthy of your healing. And that just causes everybody to just feel like, you know, even when I was, 
Even when I was somewhat clean, it didn't work. And it just seems to convince you it's just easier to do it the world's way. Not realizing that God's not asking you to clean yourself up. He just wants you just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for thee. Remember that? He just wants you to come. Man, we're being messed with. You don't realize that we are. We are being messed with, I tell you what. If it wasn't the devil in the world making us feel like just mere men, then it's the church making you feel like you're dirty and unworthy. Golly. I mean, it's like, you know, we just want to say, can anybody just give me a break for a second? And Jesus says, yeah, I did. Yep, yep, I did. I gave you a break. Praise the Lord. If you were here last night, you saw he took away your first no, which was your sin. He became your second no, which was your curse. He took away your first yes, was you having to perform everything perfectly in order to be blessed by God. So all you've got is, is just in him, a yes and amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I don't care what you've done. You say, you don't care what someone's done? No. Why would I care what someone's done? If I can get them to not care about what they've done not care about what they've done. Oh my God, if they don't care about what they've done, then they're just gonna keep doing it. No, the reason why they keep doing it is because they're trying not to. Heard this one story about this drunkard that was in town years and years and years ago and everybody who had worked with him had told him, now Willie, you have to, you, have to, you know, uh, give me your, your, your best yes on this that you will not take another drink. Okay, I'll not take another drink. And then he would take another drink. So there was one little old lady that he finally went to see, and she said, I want you to promise me one thing. And he said, don't promise me that I don't have to, you know, that I don't have to get a drink. He said, because I really want one right now. She said, no, on the contrary, I wanted you to promise me that every time you wanted a drink, you make sure you go get one. He said, I I, I want one right now. She she said, go, go get one. That's, That's her whole counsel. That's all she said. And he runs down to go into the tavern, and by the time he he got his hand on the knob of the door to the tavern, it had left him. The desire for it left. It was gone. See, she was smarter than everyone else. She unlocked him. The very thing he wanted to let go of, he was holding on so tight to. And if he's holding on tight to it, how can God? If you're gonna be sozoed, saved, you actually have to let go of your rope to grab a hold of someone else to save you. I know, I'm trying to be saved, but I can't let go of this left hand. (laughs) You know, because it's a really bad fall. Can't let go. You have to let go in order to be sozoed. And it's when you let go that he brings change. Wow, man, there's something happening in this room this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes. Amen. We're going to have a prayer in just a couple of minutes. I'm not going to be able to finish my sermon. Boy, I'd really like to. But we're going to have a prayer in just a few minutes for some people that are really dealing in their heart with sorrow hmm? and condemnation, and feelings of guilt, shame. We're going to pray for you, and God's going to heal your heart. What do you mean, your soul? It's going to touch you, and that stuff's going to just disappear. 
You know, in the church world, we've, we've counseled the brokenhearted. But it doesn't say counsel the brokenhearted. It says heal the brokenhearted. So the anointing will go into the brokenhearted and touch you, and you'll wake up and go, oh, my gosh, I, I'm free. And you almost, you almost feel like, is it okay to be this free? I prayed a really good prayer about a year ago over some areas just in my life that had just been like real pesty, you know what I mean? Like they're always there. You just want them gone. And I said, Lord, from this moment, I'm going to cut myself free completely from the idea that any of my effort to do the right thing or to not do the wrong thing, I'm going to cut myself free, even if it looks irresponsible, even if it causes this problem to become greater. I'm going to get myself out of the equation, cut myself free, and turn myself over into the grace of God. Now, it seemed irresponsible. And I woke up the next morning, and I thought I would just be doing better, and then the next day better, and the next day better, and the next day better. But I woke up the next morning, and I couldn't remember what it was like to even think that way. And it freaked me out, to be real honest with you. To be real honest with you. It freaked me out. It was like it was too good, too fast, and too much. It's like I wanted to still kind of almost feel that way, but I couldn't remember what it was like to feel that way. And it had been years, years of a wrong way of thinking, a wrong mentality, and all of a sudden it was gone. Hallelujah. And the little song just keeps coming back, doesn't it? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for thee. And as thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Mm, thank you, Lord Jesus. Man, the devil's got us bit off on all this. We're just barely here. We're just barely human. We're just trying so hard. Jesus just wants to break some mindsets today, touch hearts. I'm going to have to just obey the Holy Ghost and flow right here with him. If that's you this morning... Your heart is just open to him just severing something, removing it, bringing enlightenment and change. I'm going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to lay hands on you real quickly. God's going to touch you right here this morning. Come on, don't be, don't be ashamed of anything. Just come. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your victory. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your assurance. Father, we give you praise today for your son. We lift him up, not only in name, but in person. That he lives in our hearts. He's made us to be conquerors and champions and overcomers. I thank you today, Lord God, for challenging the mindset in the lives of every one of us here. For removing certain obstacles that have brought us fear but you brought your power and your glory into our hearts with great confidence today so that we can lift up with a voice and boldly say he is my strength he is my rock he is my fortress my healing my deliverance 
my Savior indeed. We can walk the rest of this day with Christ. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Show us every day, every moment, your presence. Allow us, Lord God, to become aware of your glory. The smallest of little things to the greatest, Lord. Let us see it, Lord. And so as Paul prayed for the church, I pray for you in closing, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would grant unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, opened, so that you can see and know the hope of your calling, the glorious riches of his inheritance toward you, his children, and the greatness of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heaven, above every principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named. And he gave you, the church, to be head over all things. The glory of God infused into you, the church, God's people, his sons and daughters. We thank you, Lord, for it today. We'll give you praise for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone say amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good he is.